Let's find our Bibles and get to Daniel chapter number five and continue in this exciting uh, saga, the story. And uh, this one, we switch kings. And so we're excited to see what uh, Daniel and his example can teach to us. As you're turning there, I do want to just tell you that as I came here, I asked the um, church to pray for me and team with me um, that, that I could be an encouragement to you and just to be a help to you. And uh, I'm encouraged that they're asking about how things are going. And I want you to know they're praying for you. One of the ladies said this morning, it's just so exciting to see young people that are training for the ministry. And so in many ways, could I put this into your heart? Um, there are believers across this country that are hoping that there would be people who would enter into the ministry. And uh, they see what's going on in our world. And they see the need for laborers. And some of these folks, in fact, the, the person that said that is a, a person that's constantly serving in the ministry, constantly meeting needs. It's not that they've withheld themselves from the ministry. They're, they're involved in the ministry, though it isn't their full-time thing. And um, so I just want to encourage you. There's, there's prayers, and in, in not just in our church, but prayers in this church for you. And uh, what you're doing is a very, very special thing, preparing for the Lord to use you and the Lord's using you now. And so we're grateful for that. Let's see how he can help us with this time together. I'm going to again ask us to stand and let's read Daniel chapter five and read a few verses down here to get the story started. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords. That's a big feast. And drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem. That was quite an arrogant thing on Nebuchadnezzar's part to do. And kind of that, that, that insult to injury. Oh yeah, you think you're strong. We've defeated you and we're also going to plunder your, your house of worship. And so there's just so much involved in that. I think you can see that. And so we go on and he did this, that the king and his princes, verse number two, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes and wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass and of iron and of wood and of stone. They praised every god they possibly could think of. In that same hour, in that same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the man's hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against the other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers and the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. 
Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known the ki- unto the king the interpretation thereof. Then was Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king, and his lords came into the banquet house, and, and the queen spake and, and said, O king, live forever, let not thy thoughts trouble thee nor thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods is, or is the spirit of the holy gods. And then she goes on to tell the story. But I love that transition right there. There is a man in your kingdom, and we're going to learn about that man again. You may be seated, and let's submit ourselves to the Lord. Father, we again just ask and implore uh, your help and uh, just your alertness right now. Uh, I know these, the students have many things that they've been uh, focusing on and trying to get the, the semester going. And they've already sat in many of these, these moments uh, to hear the preaching and teaching of your word. Lord, we need you to stir us up. Um, perhaps we feel a little bit like uh, drinking from a fire hose. There's much to focus on. But I pray that you would give each one here one thing, one thing to consider and to act on. And so I pray that you would help anoint me with your spirit, and I pray that you would help me to be an encouragement to these. Lord, I, I would really love to be able to um, be partners in the ministry with these in four or five years from now, even in the state of Ohio, some uh, serving in different places across the state. Lord, I pray that you just raise them up and put them in places, give them influence, help them be committed to your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So living in Babylon, we've already established, was a difficult thing for a follower of God. It's going to mean there's going to be conflict. The the challenges are going to be unavoidable. Convictions must remain unmovable. And we've seen that in Daniel's life, his three friends' lives. They have remained steadfast. They've remained committed to God, though they would be ostracized, not called to the party, not called to bring in their opinions, uh, left out, didn't get the phone call. They remained steadfast in their worship. They worshiped God alone. We have watched that. They thrived. Even though there were ups and downs in the ministry and ups and downs in their, in their uh, influence, if you will. And uh, God was faithful to give them key opportunities to influence leaders and to influence those around them. They, they were not a side issue in Babylon. These, these men, because of their godliness, had, had really taken the stage there, not for some pride, uh, prideful means, but they'd really been given those opportunities of leadership because of what I believe was their godly or Godward integrity. We'll define the word integrity in a little bit, but uh, there is a crisis of integrity today. It's amazing how, how even in the ministry you hear about lying and deceit and, and people just being fine, uh, fine with a lack of integrity and, and, and you know it's not the truth and, and, and they're fine with it. And that's, that's really a problem. We need to strive to have a very Godward integrity similar to what we see in the life of Daniel, a, a life that was just fixed on obeying God, doing God's will, no no matter who was watching, no matter what the opportunity was, no matter whether it was behind the scenes or out in front on the stage. Daniel 1 to 4 really deals with the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 BC after reigning some 43 years. He had quite a reign. And then we have this, this gap in time between chapter 4 and chapter 5, we believe to be about 30 years of time. 
And we don't know all that's going on in Daniel's life in that, in that time. I, I do surmise that Daniel was still just doing the same thing he's always done, purposing in his heart to please God, worshiping God alone, kneeling three times in, uh, in, his, uh, in, his, in his room, in his, in his house, and praying to the God of heaven and seeking the Lord. But there's 30 years here where, where it seems like Daniel's just kind of forgotten. There's some decades that go by. He's not being called to the palace He's not being asked for the opinion. He's just kind of going, uh, going on about his life. And it seems like he's been sort of sidelined. And, and you know, it's even in those times when, when maybe we've been a little bit forgotten or we don't have the opportunities we once had or we don't have the opportunities we, maybe we wish we had. Sometimes we can maybe grow a little bit lax in our walk with God or determination to continue to serve him because it isn't what it used to be. It isn't the same opportunity it used to be and so now we have a new king on the scene Belshazzar and if his dad if his grandfather we believe was was bad it, it certainly he was he was much much worse I mean just an arrogant man and he did pick up this that if you throw money at it it makes the problem go away basically you give me the answer and if you give me the answer I'll give you money and riches and I'll make you third in line to the king so they they were really uh, they were really quick to throw those those incentives around so Belshazzar had no regard for God do remember that Nebuchadnezzar in chapter four is converted to, uh, to, uh, to God and he's following after him and it's believed that the last 12 years of his life he is really seeking after the Lord and living, living a life that is honoring to God in the last part of his life. Belshazzar didn't pick that up. You know, one of the mournful things uh, to watch and to, to pastor is those that have come to Christ later in life and mourn their children's continued resistance and rejection of God. Because they didn't bring them up early on in the things of God. But you, I can't imagine that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar didn't feel some of that about, his, about his, uh, his son, which we'll get to in a moment, and his, uh, his, his uh, kids that came on afterwards. But I do want us to realize here in verses 1 through 4, we open up and there is a grand party going on. There's a grand party going on. And I want you to know that it was a boastful party. It was full of pride and arrogance. They were praising their gods and they were uh, taking these, uh, these, these uh, vessels out of storage that had been in storage that were used over there. And it was like this, the, uh, an additional statement that, yeah, we conquered you. We have stepped on your God. Your God's not worth anything. We'll drink our wine. We'll party using the vessels that came from your temple. Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a co-regent, co-reigning with his father, Nebuchadnezzar. We get some of that from from history, from some uh, uh, history outside of scripture. There's a a cylinder, a stone cylinder that speaks to some of that. Nebuchadnezzar was a man that was constantly on the go and out uh, in uh, different in different campaigns and so he wasn't he wasn't in Babylon much so it seems that the the mantle of the leadership fell to his son Belshazzar Belshazzar Bel means God has protected the king and so here is a man that is fully pagan everything his grandfather was before um, before that being put out in the 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 uh, the field for seven years he was and more and he hosted this great party for a thousand lords that's an expensive party that's an expensive party archaeologists have excavated a large hall in Babylon some 50 feet uh, 55 feet wide and 
uh, 160 feet long with plastered walls that, that could have held such a, such a party, Pentecost says. But it, what makes this party even a little bit more egregious and boastful is the fact that while this party is going on, Babylon is besieged. Right now, outside of the walls, there is, there is an enemy. The Persians are outside of the walls and they've besieged it. And Babylon felt pretty secure. Belshazzar felt pretty secure. They had enough uh, rations and provisions to outlast a 20-year siege. And so they felt pretty good about themselves, not just their provisions inside, but the walls around Babylon were nothing to laugh at. The walls were incredibly, uh, incredibly thick. And in fact, some have, have estimated that uh, in some areas of the wall, the 11-mile wall around, around Babylon, uh, some 72 feet thick. We can't be taken down. We took down Israel. We can't be taken down. And he's flaunting his power in this, this grand and boastful party with all these lords gathered together. Oh yeah, hey, we might be besieged, but we're all good. The wine tasting in front of the thousand lords just flaunting, flaunting their power, their, their gold, their silver, praising these different gods as is mentioned, these gods that, that can't speak, can't hear, can't do anything. Belshazzar's pride was not just towards man, towards the Persians, but it was towards God. All of our pride is towards God. And now egregious it is before God, as we've even heard about this day. But what what I notice here, and it's a pretty strong parallel between our day and that day, is that the world is partying on as if nothing is going on, even as judgment looms. America is partying on while judgment looms. Do you realize you have been called to minister, men and ladies, you have been called to minister in a day where it is obvious that the hand of judgment is coming upon our nation, just as Daniel, to live inside of a pagan nation well, they party on like nothing's going on. Our economy's good. Have you ever, have you ever seen something so crazy as Bidenomics? Now, this isn't political or or partisan, but no one looks at this and says, hey, we're all good. Gas prices, they're good. Grocery bill, it's all good. We're partying on like nothing's going on. We're partying on like, hey, hey, we'll we'll just have people come over the border. Doesn't matter if they're coming over from China. We'll just have them come in and we'll, we'll actually put them to rest. We'll sleep them in school gymnasiums across our country. We are, we are watching the downfall of our nation right before our eyes. And you get to minister in that. And so did Daniel. So here, here we have this boastful party going on. No one's going to touch us. We're just fine. We'll go on as if everything's all going to happen. The card's going to get called on America just like it got called on, on Babylon. The Bible says the Lord will destroy the house of the proud but he will establish the border of the widow. God says, Jesus said in John 3 and verse 18, he said, he that believeth not on him is condemned, is, is right now condemned. Judgment looms for the lost person. That lost person you know at work, judgment looms right now. They party on the weekends, but judgment looms for them. In reality, we can can party on in our own uh, justifications, our own pride, but the reality is that that our standing before God looms. 
It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. You and I will stand before God and we will give an account for our works and our labor before him. So what was God's response to this boastful party that Belshazzar is putting on for a thousand of his lords? Saying, hey, we don't need the God of Israel. We'll drink out of his cups, his vessels. We'll say, hey, we are better than him. We're more powerful. No one, no one can stop us. And so what is God's response? There's a divine interruption. I love this. There's a divine interruption. Now look at verse number five with me. That same hour came forth the fingers of a man's hand. That same hour. Listen, God has not uh, lost control of anything that's going on in our world today. And he does show up. He does show up in the same hour. And he, he does make these very boastful men appear as very common. It's hard to watch. I grew up going to political things and, and God bless America and the patriotic music and all that stuff. It is hard to watch the foolishness that is going on in our country. And how that, that those, and even in offices that we must respect and we must pray for, how foolish they've become in those situations. God knows how to bring down a man. And so God shows up in that very moment, a divine interruption. And we already read, he sees this, this, this hand writing on the wall. That would, uh, that would make my knees shake too. Can you imagine? This is real. This isn't, this isn't fairy tale. This is divinely inspired narrative. By the way, guys, when you preach, do, do uh, work to add in the word narrative as opposed to a story. It's not, a, it's not just a story that someone told you. It is biblical, authoritative narrative. And so here we have this, this narrative that is telling us, hey, listen, this really happened. And the king cried aloud and he said, bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and soothsayers. It seems like we've been here before. Oh, yeah, it's a different generation. Notice where this writing happened. It happened over against the candlestick. I am reminded that God does nothing by accident. He put his word in the uh, clearly lit wall. It wasn't over in the dark. Everyone could see it. And today, God's word is not hidden. It is available, more so today than it ever has been, it seems to me. You can download an app anywhere and get the word, the word of God. But you can go into Dollar Tree and buy a Bible. It's pretty amazing. God's word is, is available in, in so many ways, yet is disregarded. The act of God sobered the partying king. You saw that his countenance was changed. He was partying, he was all in, he was probably near drunk. But now he's... He's changed. He's sobered up real quick. And the Bible says his joints were loose. The whole idea is that he began to shake. He had a hard time standing as he, as he watched this going down. And who was very untouchable. Everyone looked up to the king. Oh, king, live forever. You're powerful. You're great. And we don't want to cross you in any way. This very untouchable man became a very usual man in a moment. With fears just like everyone else. Friends, you realize that when God moves, he can take the most arrogant of individuals and he can humble them. And I think sometimes we, we act like we're, you know, we brought the knife to the gunfight. Friends, we brought the word of God into the situation if we'll be true to it. We are not on the losing side. We, we walk on the authority of the very word of God. The Thessalonians, they progressed because they received the word as the very word of God, not as the word of Paul. 
And so it's so important for us to realize that God is not changing his power, just like he changed the countenance of Belshazzar there. He can still do that today, and we need to pray towards that end and be preparing towards that end. The wise men were found to be foolish. Read verses 8 through 9. We see that they hear this and they, they read that. Well, you we don't know, king. I wonder how these guys kept the job. It's like a weatherman. Like, how do they actually keep their job? Like, they never, they never are able to answer with any sort of certainty. So God sees this moment. He sees the attention of this very arrogant room. God gripped them. That's what we want. We want God to fall into our services. We want God to seize our hearts. Right, don't you? We don't, we don't need to be playing Christianity right now. Never needed to. This is a real deal. And we need God to show up. And when God shows up, listen, you, you won't be able to point at yourself. Yeah, that was a pretty good message. No, no. Well, I really gave them some good counsel. No. When God shows up, it's a precious thing. It is a precious thing. I'm observing this in the life of some of the folks that have recently come to Christ. I was having a conversation with a family. I got to baptize the whole family. And uh, led the teenager to the Lord first just in early September. Then he brought his parents on our friend day in October. Uh, they came over to our house that afternoon. And, and uh, we had a long conversation. Then my son Jason was able to, um, to lead uh, their, their nine-year-old to the Lord. And, and he got baptized following. And, and it, it has been tremendous. But I was having a conversation with them out in the lobby. And they're like, God's just changing our lives. There's things we can't watch on TV anymore. And I looked at them and I said, did I tell you that? No, it was God that did that. And the Holy Spirit of God is changing their life. It's, it's a wonderful thing when God seizes the heart. It is a wonderful thing. I received a report yesterday about it. They're having their next discipleship meeting and it just blessed my heart. And I told um, several of you, God allowed us to see first time, second generation discipleship. This year, man, I am so grateful. We've been working towards that since 2016. And finally, the Lord seems to be giving us some traction there. And it's a wonderful thing when God seizes the heart. And it's a wonderful thing when you're in a conversation with a lost person, God seizes their heart. When they're, they're captured by something. Friends, that happens in our, in our services. It must happen in our services. When the lost man comes in and out and they're never seized. Boy, we need to pray for the power of God. Don't you agree with me? You need the power of God. And that's not, that's, that's not a, a formula. That is a, that is a dependence. That's a Godwardness that we see in Daniel's life. Daniel wasn't all that. Daniel was just a man. And we need the power of God. So Daniel is not noted to this point in all this. He's not in the room. Where is he? Home, maybe, maybe writing down some prophecies, perhaps. I, I do believe that some of the prophecies later on in the book, it seems like uh, perhaps Daniel was writing, writing some of those, receiving that, thinking, meditating, uh, communicating. I, I do believe that, that, that 
Babylon and, and people from that area were influenced by Daniel's writings for many, many, many years going forward. I have to wonder, I can't conclusively prove this, but I have to wonder if they didn't even hear about some of the prophecies about the coming Messiah and if that wasn't even what led some of the Magi later on to come and seek after Jesus Christ, seek that star. Because they, they read about this and where did they get that? Where was that influence? Could it have been Daniel and his three friends that helped to, to leave the testimony of the God of heaven there in, 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 in the east, perhaps? But I do know this, Daniel was still being faithful. And I want us to realize a Godward man here in verse number, um, verse number 10, as we read, it, it says the queen comes in, the, the queen. Now, many believe that this might have been the, the grandmother of Belshazzar. Uh, and the reason being is she, she seemed to have a personal knowledge of Daniel's ministry to Nebuchadnezzar. So we don't know exactly, it, 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 it's, it's very likely, but um, here this queen nevertheless knew something about Daniel and had observed Daniel's life and Daniel's ministry. So she comes in and says, hey, Belshazzar, listen, there is a man in your kingdom. Now, I, I want us to catch this because this is very important. There are going to be seasons where God puts you on the backside of the desert or your influence or your ability to state, your ability to preach messages, your ability to have a front, a, 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 a stage presence or whatever. You might be put aside for a second. But listen, what you do in those sideline moments are very, very important for your future usefulness. Because if, if, if the only reason that you walk with God and have integrity is because you're preaching the next Sunday, it's not going to work. And I, I remember wrestling with that as a young preacher. Well, I'm preaching this Sunday, so i got to walk with God. Now, hold on. Is the only reason you don't give in to the lust of the flesh because you're preaching on Sunday? Or you're teaching a Sunday school class? Right, there has to be a Godwardness all the way through, a consistent God on Godwardness. And we see that in the life of David, there, or in, in Daniel's life. There is a man. She comes in and gives personal testimony. There is a man in your kingdom. Not there was a man, there is a man. Now, guaranteed, she did not want to come into that hall and give false information. Because you know how these guys are. You cross them, you're dead. It didn't matter if you're the queen mom. And so she comes in. There is a man in your kingdom. Where is you right now? What is your integrity right now? You don't have as much of a, you know, a, a weekly front, you know, front position. You, how many of you teach a Sunday school class? Okay. How many of you are working on bus? Okay. So your influence is to, to five and, and, and six, on bus, ten. I, I don't know. Your, your influence is, you might feel like it's, it's not that great. You, by the way, I, I'm not belittling that. You be faithful with that influence right now. You be faithful. There's a man who is pastoring in this state that I got to teach in Sunday school, teen Sunday school, when I was in college. You know what? I really enjoy our fellowship now. I enjoy praying for him. And it's really, it's really quite special. So you don't know what your influence right now is going to do. So Daniel isn't, isn't in the limelight, but he's still walking with God. There is a man. And I want us to notice, let's get this in verse number 11. Let's, what about this man? There is a man in whom is the spirit 
of the holy gods. Not was, is the spirit of the holy gods. He's still walking with this God that he worships. The, the same God that he purposed in his heart. He would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. That same God, he's still praying to him and he, he's still walking with him. And he's still obeying him. He's still preaching him. He's still talking about him. There is a man in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Daniel is still walking in his integrity. That's very, very powerful after 30 years. So the king calls him in. Verse number 13. He's brought before the king. Art thou Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity nice vessels right remember what he's walking into whom the king my father brought out of Jewry I have even heard of thee you know your your testimony will travel it'll travel through a community I've even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee you want to make sure that that's the testimony that travels. That's why the Bible says of us that we are to live blamelessly. There ought to be no handle. So his testimony had traveled. What else about his testimony? That you're able, in verse number six, I've heard of thee, that thou canst uh, make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Bring clarity in the midst of confusion. That is what is needed in this world. We live in a very confused world. I've already referenced it. I don't want to belabor it. But this whole thing of gender confusion is a reality that you're stepping into. You are stepping into ministering in this world. You can laugh at it. You can say, well, it just doesn't make sense. But the fact is, our world's confused. And they need people like you to bring clarity in the midst of confusion with love. Today, I'm burdened about the fact that our state is voting, our House of Representatives is voting right now to protect children from doctors who want to do gender reassignment surgeries and saying that, hey, you can't do this, you can't do this until after the, um, their 18th birthday when they can decide. Our governor a couple weeks ago vetoed this bill. The House is gathering together today at 2 o'clock to override this veto. And you know who it's led by? An independent Baptist pastor. And his prayer is today, the eyes of the nation are on him. And he's just asking that we pray that, that, that God would give him the right words to say in this moment. I hope that you'll pray for him. He is Representative Gary Click. And God has put him like a Daniel in that, in that house. And I'm so grateful for that, that leadership. But listen, that's, that's something that God gives. And we live in the midst of a gender-confused society that is just, just wondering and they need people to step forward with clarity and say, here's what God says. Here's what God says, and I love you as I say it to you. And so here we, here we are. Daniel's called in to bring uh, clarity in the midst of the confusion. And you know something? When our heart is pure, one man said, the vision will be clear. You'll know what to say in the moment. If you're walking in integrity, you'll know what to say. You don't have to develop a three-point sermon in, in what to say. The Holy Spirit can speak right through you in that moment when you're walking with him. He'll give you the words to say. He'll bring the scripture to mind. And I, I believe that's exactly what would happen with Daniel. Now, this integrity that Daniel had, this Godwardness uh, that Daniel had, and I want to just stop and uh, identify that or define that. Integrity is this honesty, this moral uprightness, this Godwardness, this humility that does not 
is not based on any surrounding circumstances, just a heart towards God. It's me and God. It's my relationship with God. And, and because God is watching me and because I love him, I will do what he asked me to do. That was Daniel. It was not based on geographic location. Well, I'll serve God once I get back to Israel. I'll serve God as long as they're around. We can read about difference of the kings. As soon as the, as soon as the high priest died, they just went on doing their, their own thing. There were generations of Israels. As soon as Joshua passed off the scene, they, they didn't do so well. It, it's amazing uh, how that often our integrity is based on who's around us. I'll walk in integrity as long as I have a prominent position. Listen, you must walk in integrity right now in school. It matters. It matters. You know, I, I remember some of the things that used to, used to really, I, I, I'd struggle with. I, I wasn't a great reader when I was in school. I, I read more now than I did in school. When I came to school, I hadn't read a whole lot. It just wasn't something I, I had developed. And so I really struggle with reading Reading to understand and reading, you, you still have those things. I've read this chapter, right? You, help me out here. Like, I've read this. Oh, I used to struggle with that because I'd read through and you know, kind of my brain would go off this way or that way. And You know what? Integrity is, even in those moments, actually doing the work. There are times in college I had to go back to a professor and, hey, get something right that I hadn't done. Your integrity matters. It matters. Be faithful in the small things, friends. So it's not just for prominent positions that we walk in integrity. God will notice your faithfulness in the little things and behind the scenes where no one else maybe notices and he will continue to lead you along and give you greater areas of influence and your integrity will be your influence. Lord, help us with that. We're in a crisis of integrity. We need to be people of integrity. So I ask you, is your integrity an act before man or is it actual before God? It seems that our American Christianity a lot of times is like a coat we wear on Sunday. Listen, you gotta, you got to nail it down in your heart. What's going what's gonna to have dominance over your heart? Some, some pastors, they, it, it's like they're two different people inside the pulpit and outside the pulpit. They're two different things. One of the scariest things to me is that my family would see me be one thing in the pulpit or on Sunday in front of the people and different the rest of the time. That scares me. I'll just be flat on. That scares me. And it scares me because I, I know my propensity. I'm, I'm more of an uh, extrovert. You know what an extrovert is? They... they feed off of people, they, they, they get an energy from being around people. I tell our church, it's a bad thing to have a pastor for an extrovert. He can come in tired and be recharged as he's preaching a sermon. Like it just, it just, it just kind of this uh, dynamo effect, this, uh, this recharging effect. But an introvert is someone who, who expends energy being around people. But you know, it's, it can be easy for you extroverts, for us extroverts, to get around people and like, okay, here, here we go. The reality is, it, it can't just be for when we're around people. Integrity can't be a coat we wear. We have to be integrity, uh, have integrity in all of our relationships. In your relationships with one another, you need to have integrity. 
And Daniel did. It wasn't just the coat he wore. It was, it was who Daniel was. And it was the reason the, the queen could say, there is a man. There is a man. Joseph was the same way. Whether he was in Potiphar's house, being tempted by Potiphar's wife, or in the prison in a dungeon, or in the, in the house of Pharaoh as the, as the second in, in, in charge in Egypt, he was a man, the Bible says, the Lord was with him. Listen, the Lord does not bless, he does not bless a life that lacks integrity. The reason the Lord's hand was on Joseph is there's a man that God's life, uh, he could bless that life. He could, he could help that, that man and he did. Do right all the time. Do right at work. Do right in class. Do right in the dorm. Do right, as the old statement is, do right till the stars fall. Do right. May the Lord help us with that. It's moreover required in stewards that a man be found faithful, a man full of Godward integrity. I want to do what is right. Daniel's unwavering integrity led him to this moment before the king. I believe if Daniel had messed it up, Daniel said, you know what? I hang it up. I've retired from the ministry. I don't need to do this anymore. I don't want the headache anymore. I am done. I believe he would not have had this opportunity, but his Godwardness that was still existent and still real and the queen mother knew about was able to lead him to this moment to have this opportunity once again all these many years later to stand up in front of, in front of what was a waning world power of the day and to give truth. Now notice as Belshazzar brought him into this room, notice that, that Belshazzar had a certain thing on his mind what he wanted to happen. Daniel walks into this room, and uh, do you realize that as he walks into that room, he's coming out of the shadows into the limelight again. The Bible says, seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings, he shall not stand before mean men. It's talking about base men. He's going to stand before powers. If you make your goal to stand before powers, you'll often sacrifice your integrity. But if you'll make your goal seeking after the Lord and walking in integrity, God will put you in places you will, you will sit there and say, how did I get in this room? I don't deserve this, and Lord, help me not to mess it up. You just trust the Lord. Listen, you're going to blink. I turned 40 this year. You're going to blink, and you're going to be 40 and have gray hair. It, no, it's, it's serious. I can, I can distinctly remember sitting in this auditorium. Like, I was sitting there and, and we were singing, sitting there, and I just distinctly remember, it, it just pulls back all these memories, and it's like, where did, where did the last 16, 17 years go? I mean, they just went by so fast. You be faithful right there. God is able to catapult his servants from the shadowy sidelines onto the center stage for his glory. And a man walking in integrity will be ready for that moment. Ladies, understand, I mean, I mean all of you, men and women. God's going to use you. He's going to put you in places. You, just, you focus on walking in integrity. So here's what the king wants. Listen, uh, who wrote these words? What, what are these words all about? Can you read them? 
That's, that's all the king wants. He just wants the details. And many times the world just wants the details, get the details and get beyond it. Who wrote these words? And we're going to finish the message today by answering two questions, really, that the king had. Who wrote these words? Where did this come from? Who put that hand? Who put that message? This was before PowerPoints and projectors and all that. Who put that on the wall? We want a hologram. This was, this was a divine thing. God put this on the wall, but he didn't know what was going on. Belshazzar wanted the words read and the meaning, but Daniel was ready to give much more. There are going to be opportunities. You're called into an office and you're given an opportunity to talk to somebody and they have one question, but you can give them so much more because you have the word of God. And you have the spirit of God giving you wisdom and discernment. Now, there's something very important to realize right here. Daniel was offered the same thing that the others were offered, wealth, clothing, and position. Don't get caught up in that. Listen, I I believe that we ought to dress well. Could I sideline for a little bit? There's a generation you're going to serve with that thinks that people in ministry should dress as bummy as possible. Go find the weirdest trends to wear, uh, not against red pants, but I don't see too many businessmen wearing red pants. And, and why in the world do we have to buy torn jeans and wear them on platforms? Buy, buy, if... <laughs> Certainly don't spend $7,500 on a pair of torn jeans. Go to the thrift store and get them. Or do it yourself. I mean, like in all seriousness, I mean, what is going on? There is no sobriety about the ministry. So, uh, we, ought to, we ought to have a desire to dress, dress like we're representing the God of the universe. And that doesn't always mean a shirt and tie and all that. And tie doesn't make you spiritual and all that. But you know what? I still wear a, I wear a shirt and tie and coat and tie on Wednesday nights to preach, even though many in our congregation don't, because I respect the office of what I'm doing. And you know what? There's many, there's many men who make billion-dollar deals who, who put on a coat and tie and, and dress sharp and shine their shoes and, and do those types of things. Why? Because it, it goes along with the, the office. So what we have seen is the church say, no, this isn't important. We just need to dumb ourselves down. No, we are representing the king of kings. Let's look like it. Don't resent what, is, what, what this school is trying to get you to do. Well, we got to wear a coat and tie every single. No, don't resent that. This is good. This is, this is good. And, and it's not all about dress, but here's the, the other side of this. Listen, don't become consumed. Honestly, sitting early on, it was a big deal. It, it mattered to me about how I dressed, and it it mattered more than it should have. It wasn't something about God. It was about me making a statement about myself and became my identity. So what I'm encouraging you to follow with in Daniel here, notice he doesn't doesn't actually care about this. Do you know what he says to Belshazzar? These are going to be nice clothes. He says, thy gifts be to thyself. I don't need your clothes. I don't need your money, and I don't need your position. I just need to give you a message. So don't, don't let your heart get drawn into all that. There are going to be sacrifices you make. You will not always be able to buy nice, nice branded suits. Listen, you're not going to always be able to buy your Tommy Hilfiger. Like it, it, 
but it doesn't really matter. Do your best with what God has given to you, but don't let your heart be captured by that. Do you all get what I'm saying? And I think especially, I remember back when I was sitting, the, the, kind of the pool, you want, to, you want to always stand out. Listen, Daniel said, your gifts be to yourself. He was able not to be, his heart wasn't captured by all that. And I think that's the main thing that I would like, I'd like to just encourage you about. In the ministry, don't be captured by the, by the money. Do you need money to exist? Yes. But our hearts can't be captured by it. We can't do it for filthy lucre's sake. Our hearts can't be captured by the, by the positions and all those things. Our hearts must be in line with God, Godward integrity. It just matters that I'm pleasing the Lord, no matter what I have. That gifts me to thyself. And then he recounts, listen, God humbled Belshazzar. God humbled your grandfather. And if you've forgotten it, let me just recount the story to you. And he does. He recounts the story, and you can read it later in 18 through 21. The Most High God did this to your father. He brought him down from his excellent majesty, and, and when his heart was hardened with pride, he brought him down. God is able to bring down the arrogant man and humble him till he knew, in verse number 21, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and hath appointed over it whomsoever he will. He, he exposed and, and recounted that story, what God had done in the past. And then he said, listen, God is doing this again in your life. He exposed the pride of Belshazzar in verse 22. And thou his son, and thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart. Though thou knewest all this, you had read the stories, you had heard your grandfather talk, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk the wine in them. Listen, it took real guts and Holy Spirit enablement. As already been mentioned, we live in the New Testament age where the Holy Spirit dwells us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came alongside of them for service. And we see the power of God on Daniel's life. And he's preaching what is true. He's exposing the pride at great personal risks. Thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not nor hear nor know. And the God, the God whose hand thy breath is. The God in whose hand thy breath is. Get that. He's saying, listen, King, you think you're something. I'm sure Daniel was being very respectful. You think you're something, King, but your very breath is in the hand of God. They're told all the time, go on, live forever. Go on, live forever. No, your, your breath is in the hand of God. And whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified You've lifted yourself up against the Lord God of heaven. Wouldn't you agree it takes, it takes the help of the Lord to say something like that? It also takes a life to back it up. We're not perfect, and we need to be transparent when we're not, but the reality is it takes a life of integrity to be able to stand and to be able to declare that and not then say, oh yeah, that's just Daniel. He doesn't live it anyway. We see him when he's not we see him when he's over there. And when no one was watching, we've seen what he does. We've been stuck by him. And so here it is. Daniel declares and exposes the pride. He declares a message from God. Verse 24. This was the part of the hand sent from him. Who? God. The reason this message is on the wall is God has a message for you. 
Listen, today we aren't looking for a message on the wall. We can still lift up the word of God and say, God has a message for you. Try to promote around town that the Bible has the answers. The Bible has the answers. God has a message for you and he declares that. And he says, no one is beyond the reach of Almighty God. You're looking at those words on the wall right now, um, Belshazzar. God has a message for you. God has given it to you. Listen, if you begin to waffle on the authority of God's word, you'll, you'll struggle to be able to say that God has a message for you. If you don't know your place in the whole matter of preaching and teaching and counseling and all that, you'll, you'll begin to waffle whether God has a message. If you remember that you are simply an ambassador, a, a conduit through which God has chosen to send his message on through preaching and teaching and etc., you'll be able to stand with authority and say, hey, God has a message for you. It is God that sent this for you. Belshazzar had been arrogant he had been sacrilegious he had been idolatrous and God directly sent him a message and you know what God's still sending messages today there will be those that are called preachers that minister or speak to people in high message and say I had a dream last night and I have a message for you and you're going to win and all that and I believe we've seen some of them shown up but oh for some people who God can put in key places, some ministers, some pastors, who will say, I have a message from you, and it isn't from a dream I had last night, it's from the word of God, let me show it to you. So who wrote this? Well, God did. He didn't even, he didn't waffle at all. It's from the hand of God. What do these words mean? Verse number 25, what do these words mean? Well, it's meaning, meaning, tinkle, you farson. Well, what in the world does this mean? The interpretation was essentially this. You are accountable to God, Belshazzar. You're accountable to God. Well, let's read down through this. It says in verse 26, this is the interpretation of the thing. Meaning, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. One, two, three, and on goes, counting the days of your kingdom, and he's finished it. He's taken account of it, he's reviewed it, he's audited it, and he has taken account of it, and it is finished. It's finished twice, he says, it's finished. It's repeated for emphasis. It is a, it is a thing that is done. Meaning, meaning, God has taken account, and he has finished it. Tinkle, he says, thou art weighed in the balance, and thou art found wanting. You, you are not in balance with God. I believe we have another verse in the New Testament that says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You and I are told to walk worthy of our God and of our vocation. And so we were to walk in balance and he had not walked in balance. He was falling short of God's glory. He was falling short of what God expected. And you farsen, the Bible, the Bible says, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. It isn't going to be divided. It isn't, will be divided sometime, or it might be divided. It is divided. It's finished. And it is now. When God works, he works conclusively. He works finally. And there's no argument that can be made. There was no wiggle room in this message that he just delivered. He delivered as God said. There's the words. Here's what it means. We need to make sure that we deliver as God says. Here's the words. Here's what it means. You're studying right now to become good students of the word. This is an awesome, sacred responsibility. It takes work. 
You can't pull up sermons on the internet and go re-preach them. It takes work. I was just talking to a pastor last week. I called him up to say, hey, could I use uh, some of your content um, for our Lord's Supper services? And he had written a book on it, and I, I was blessed by it. And he says, brother, use it all you want. I said, I'll certainly credit you and, and, and so on. And he says, use it all you want. In fact, I'll send you the word doc for the book. And I thought, man, that, what a blessing. He was an encouragement to me as an older pastor. But he said, I've only had one problem. I had one guy who decided to take my content and make it as if it's his own, preach the messages, and then reproduce it in a book. Never crediting. He says he lost his ministry over it. We better be ready to say what the word says, get it for ourselves and make sure that we do right with it and be able to say, this is what God has said. God has said. Now the fulfillment of this would be that night. But I want us to look at verse number 29. Then commanded Belshazzar, uh, hold on, we, we just got this. God has numbered your kingdom, he's audited it, and he's taken account of it, and you're finished. Tonight, you're finished, you're done. You're gonna be ushered off the scene, you're done. And, and look at verse number 29. Are you all there? Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. What kingdom? It's finished. You know what I find about this world? They sometimes hear the word of God and go out on as if nothing has happened. Well, that's not true. God doesn't do that type of stuff today. God doesn't bring judgment on a nation who is given over to homosexuality. That was back in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we really even doubt that we question and debate whether that actually happened. And they go on as if nothing has happened. And he went on as if nothing has happened. Let's go on with business as usual. You get the riches, you get the position, we'll make a proclamation. Hear ye, hear ye, this is Daniel, and he is now third in line to the, to the throne. Going on as if nothing has happened. Listen, we better remain committed to the truth even when the world goes on as if they haven't heard the truth. Don't let their response or their lack of response cause you to waffle on truth. What God has said has been said. It will come true. And that very night, God was already working and under the, under the city was already rumbling the, the, uh, the, 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 the movement of the Persian army and that night, the Bible says, that night, the Bible says that, that the Persian army had, uh, was coming in to take, uh, take over and to defeat them. It's understood that they diverted the water, the water uh, north of the city by digging a, a canal from the river and, and a nearby lake. And with the water diverted, the level receded to the level, uh, the level that the, the, the Persian army could walk right into the city through its water system. Well, we have walls. We have provisions for 20 years. No one's coming in here. They forgot the creativity. And when God is moving even your enemies, it's a, very, a fearful and dreadful thing. And they walked right into the city. They didn't have to break down a wall. They walked right into the city. The Bible says, He that often being reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall be destroyed suddenly, and that without remedy. Bible says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. All men are accountable to God, Belshazzar. God's audited your life in your, your kingdom. You're found wanting. Time is up. 
That's the message. That's the message. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And it happened that night. That ought to give you great confidence. You're ministering for that God. God's not going to leave you out there, tell you to go give the word, and then say, ah, I'm not actually, I'll delay it a little bit. No, God, God, will, God will do exactly what he said. And we must believe that and have confidence in that and all from a life of Godward integrity. And so it's so very important for us to look at these two lives. Here's a king full of pride, full of arrogance, doing his own thing, but God brings him down. Here's a man, he's also of a royal line, just from over in Israel, and and God is using him over and over, and here's what I want you to catch. At this point in his life, he has been in Babylon some 66 years and consistently purposing in his heart, standing firm on the word, over and over, Daniel's doing the right thing, and God keeps popping him up in Babylon, being able to say, here's what the word says, you're accountable to God, and he continues to be able to speak for the the Lord God there in Babylon. You want to be that type of person. But we cannot be that type of person without a Godward integrity. I pray that for myself. I pray that for you. Godwardness. Lord, help me to do right today. You know my my flesh. I need your help. You know my propensity to pride. I need your help. A Godward integrity. Daniel inspires me. I can't can't say what, what positions I will be in and what opportunities I'll have, but I can today walk with God. And I can today make sure I walk in the spirit of God. There is a man. There is a man in whom the spirit of God is. This world needs to see men and women like you. Where it's not a past thing. It's a present thing. It's an is thing. There is a man. Let's live lives of Godward integrity. Let's ask the Lord to help us with that. Would you? Father, would you help us with this matter? I know my weakness. You know it so much better than me. Lord, you see my heart. Nothing's hidden from you. And now, Lord, we just want to submit ourselves before we pause and go on with this day. We want to ask you to help us to walk in integrity, not get focused on on the opportunities, positions, and all that, but to ask you to help us to walk day by day in Godward integrity for the next 66 years. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name.